Thanks for watching that cheesy video. It was good. It was worth watching just for little JJ. So if you want to go to the Dominican, you need to go and, and watch that little dude. That is uh, Lee Carter's grandson, and uh, he was just so sweet. So thank you all for uh, supporting the, the trip to the Dominican. For those of you that are guests, maybe don't know what's going on, we uh, sent a small team to the Dominican, saw 87 souls come to Christ, and uh, it was a great trip. And I appreciate all the support through the walking tacos and the gifts and everything. We, we needed every bit of it, and it really worked out well. So uh, praise the Lord. I'm not going to take much time. I just wanted to just set that up, and I hope you enjoyed the video. I want to invite uh, Mickey and Pam to come up, though, and just share a few minutes of testimony uh, of what God did uh, in their hearts while they were on the trip. We didn't talk about this before coming up here. All right. Well, unlike Pam, I'm not organized with a bunch of papers, but I did want to share some changes that God provided to my heart, specifically on this trip. So this is my third mission trip while being a member of HBF, and it was unlike any trip I'd ever gone on. I didn't realize until coming back just how jaded my heart had been towards evangelism. And I would do it still in the States, and I would do it with the desire of people to accept the Lord. But over there, people aren't closed. They aren't cold. They're not looking for an argument, which is most of my personal experience. The number of people that just needed to hear the very basic Roman road, that they're separated from God because of their sin. And it's as simple as desiring Jesus and accepting him. That's where everything truly begins for us. And they, they just took it. You know, I saw so many individuals. My first one was a 17 year old girl that you could tell she was playing mom in her household with all her siblings. And she was just so ready. Uh, the translators did a fantastic job. We, I don't think had any issues at all. And they have the same heart. They just want to see people come to the Lord. They want to see people live for God pursue that relationship, and, and they want to see the DR, like we do here, be saved for Christ. And, you know, 86 more people have now had that opportunity because of what God did through us, not because of what we did. And if if you really want to see God move mightily, the DR is a great place to do it, because he doesn't hold back. We pray, and he answered 10 times what we could have imagined. It wasn't five minutes. I told you it'd be short. I hear more. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So um, five minutes is not very long to tell you experiences of six days. But I want to start uh, with a reading. So when I pray in the morning, I journal a lot of it. I take God's word. I pray it back to him. I make notes. I think about things I've heard uh, through the day or the day before. I want to read uh, August 13, so that would have been the Sunday before we left. I want to read some of my notes uh, before I start. I wrote uh, that I got a reminder from the Lord, from the Word today. If I confess my sin, Lord, you are faithful to forgive my sins, and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. 
even the sins that I can't see. So the other, the next note I made was Jesus, you paid for my forgiveness. You earned my forgiveness. And so when we are cleansed of our unrighteousness, that what that's what gives us our uh, fellowship with Christ. He cleanses us for our sins, and then we're able to be in his presence. And I put, Lord, I pray that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. Lord, help us walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Lord, help us to keep our speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that we may know how we ought to answer every man. And I put that I believe the story of my salvation is a testament of God's faithfulness to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So my testimony must include the Romans Road, the plan of salvation. I put, uh, I ended with Lord give us cool weather and good health. Uh, drink water, two or three bottles extra today. Those were my notes. And then uh, that day we also had a prayer team meeting with uh, Lee, and he said the team will have a huge impact. God is going to have uh, the impact because through us, not just while we're here, that it would it would extend uh, even after uh, we left. So uh, I wanted you to know. I didn't know that. I didn't think about this until a couple of days after I got back. I read my journal and I was like, "Lord, you are faithful. You did do these things that I had prayed for three or four days before." I didn't know. I knew that we were going to be presenting the gospel. I didn't know that uh, Brian would be in one circle of people, and I would be in a circle, and Mickey would be in a circle. And as the people came through, uh, that we would be the ones receiving them, and we would be able to present the gospel to them. And then after uh, they had an opportunity uh, to respond, then they went back and they got their provision. They got a big, uh, long stick of sausage and a bag, small bag, in my opinion, of uh, provision uh, for their family for about a week of oil and rice and some canned goods. And then they went to a prayer table. I didn't know, I didn't realize that we would be the team, the piece that would be presenting the gospel. So what I prayed for is exactly what God gave me. Uh, he he walked before me, and he was with me because I really struggled the morning uh, when we uh, when we arrived because I uh, I felt so unworthy and I was asking myself why did I come on this trip? You know I tried to prepare my heart, uh, but anyway God is faithful. I want you to know that anyone that is thinking about uh, mission trip, I want you to know that God is faithful. He will do what he says in his word. 
that he's going to do for us. He's going to walk before us. He's going to have the, uh, the hearts ready, and he's going to have open doors. I want to tell you very quickly how easy it is. I was concerned about presenting the gospel with an interpreter and how that, you know, might cause um, distraction or, you know, what am I even going to say because they don't, their culture's different than mine, et cetera, et cetera. We got a, uh, a track. Uh, Lee said, he had to tell me repeatedly, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> he had to say, stick with the track. Stick with the Romans road. Don't add anything to it. Let the word of God uh, uh, preach, teach to, uh, to the hearts. And every time I tried you know, I would be like, oh, I need to add a little of my experience or a little of what I know. It got real confusing real fast. We had awesome interpreters. In fact, uh, I'll tell you one cool thing. I want to tell you a lot of cool things like how skinny the chickens are there. I was just, I kept saying, look at those chickens. They're like, they have long legs and they're real, I don't know. I don't know why, but it was shocking to me. I want to tell you those kinds of things, but uh, seriously, um, the Word of God speaks for itself, and the Word of God is what uh, changes hearts uh, and uh, restores relationships. And so my interpreter, one of the interpreters we worked with was uh, uh, an immigration law attorney. How cool is that? She knew. She knew English very well. She knew how to interpret quickly. And the dis there was just very little distraction. I didn't have any issues with the interpretation. I don't think Mickey or Brian did either. Uh, so anyway, we sticked right with the Romans Road. This is something you can uh, prepare in advance, know the Romans Road. You don't have to say it in Spanish. I'll tell you what, a couple times, <laughs> a couple times, <laughs> I spoke, I tried to speak, you know, because I'd practiced it and I'd, practiced a little with me sharing and in the meantime I read a little and I'm like I'm gonna be bold and say this and I would say the words like I had uh, practice and they'd be like <laughs> because I'm using the words but I have this American accent and it, I didn't anyway they don't expect you to know Spanish they expect you to be uh, an American Christian a missionary uh, and that's what we represented most of the time uh, Romans Road is very simple. We we present the gospel. We let the word speak. And then we had the privilege of going out into the community and, and inviting them to a movie. We got to watch uh, The Chosen, the piece of Nicodemus. Uh, it was in Spanish, and it was, uh, it was an awesome um, uh, opportunity. There were a lot of people come, especially a lot of men. And I'm like, how am I going to invite these people? Well, we had little bitty tickets. I mean, they made it so easy for us. This was our other tool. And I said, te invita hoy. I invite you today. A una película to a movie. That's all we had to say. Now, anyone can do that. Anyway, so we had tools. They, uh, they had tools prepared for us. We did see... Uh, over 80 salvations. Uh, the people, the most heartbreaking part, I told the team on a, at the end of one emotional day, I said, 
I know I have to go home, but how do I leave? You know, you're, you're, you want to stay because the field, there's so many. They were standing outside. Now, the three of us were inside presenting the gospel, and Lee and John and a couple others were outside taking care of the chaos and some really crazy things that went on uh, outside. And the people were standing at the door, and they were looking in, and, and they were arguing over a ticket. They want a ticket. They want to come in. They were looking in the windows, and, and it was just they knew, I believe, my heart says they knew that there was hope inside. I don't think they realized exactly what they were entering into with the prayer table and provision and uh, the word, but every day they had to turn them away. These people stood in the sun waiting for an opportunity to find hope. And the last day, we, we just couldn't. We had 120 provision bags. That's, uh, you know, that's what we had. Uh, and the, Lee had to explain, I, you know, come to church. Come see us. Come back. But you'll have an opportunity for this, and I think they're going to do it again in October. Decatur Baptist Church is going to go with the team. But I really encourage you uh, to get ready for a mission trip, even if it's within the states, even if it's Monmouth, uh, get ready. I made a list here of what you can do. If, if you have a pen and piece of paper, get ready. Get your passport. It's the first thing. Just tell God, I, I'm available. I, I've got some things to put together, but I'm available. Uh, start putting a little money back every week. Uh, your family can have like a team powwow and say okay on monday night we go eat tacos but we're not going to do that this week we're going to put the 25 or 50 in the bucket uh so that one of us will be able to go on a mission trip ask questions talk to mickey talk to myself pastor brian uh please uh begin to participate in a prayer team if you're not on a prayer team uh that you need to choose one pray about it see where god go to all of them i mean there's no reason why you can't attend all of them and decide where God may be sending you to. Uh, participate in our prayer team. Uh, that is the Carter's prayer team. We meet on the third Sunday. Uh, Brother Dave Branham is the one that leads that team up. And begin to pray for Primera Iglesia Biblica in Valiente. Valiente. That is the church where uh, Lee, the church that Lee has planted and that we're um, supporting. I want to thank my church family, dear family. Thank you for your prayers. I know that there were some, a couple of people said they were fasting uh, for our safety and for our health, and you prayed through the week, and uh, God answered those prayers. Thank you. Praise God. There's a lot of uh, difficulties for a lot of people trying to get to this trip, and it was my privilege to be able to be on it. I was not intending to be on the trip. God had changed my plans, and then he changed them again because poor Steve got hurt, and now his, uh, he got his wing clipped for a minute, and I was down there doing a devotion. I, I think it might have been my fault, brother. I'm, I apologize. I, I think God wanted me on this trip, and uh, he had to hurt poor Steve for me to, to get there. So I really feel, I really do. I feel like, man, I was so encouraged by this trip. Uh, 
And so when you hear reports, you know, you always hear usually a glowing report. And if you've all been in church a while, sometimes you can get even cynical about this kind of thing. And so I want, I'm, not saying, well, I'm, not, I'm not just saying this to say, like, oh, let's move the ball forward in regard to more action, more missions, and all of that. We do need to move the ball forward. I mentioned a few weeks ago, Derek Thomas was here and was very clear, you know, in our dispensation, there's only one thing we're supposed to do, and that's get the gospel to every nation. I mean, that's ultimately, and we have it within our, even this little church has the opportunity to do that. So this was a really good trip, and I do believe that um, the team was well prepared by Steve. Uh, I just kind of jumped in, you know, I'm a backup quarterback, you know, and, uh, and so it went really well, and I was glad I went. Uh, because I do think we advanced the ball spiritually. Uh, those pictures you saw of the church meeting, that was like uh, through a lot of difficulty. They've tried to start before, and they've been shut down with COVID and so on and so forth. That was like their initial meeting. I mean, we were there. And I think that um, we've been in situations in the past like this where you think, oh, we went on a trip, and the missionary says, this really got us going. And you think, okay, yeah, they say that to everybody. I really don't think Lee is saying that this time just because he wants to encourage us. Uh, it really did seem like God was establishing that church while we were there. It was like a new birth. A baby was born. And uh, that's because of you all. It's not just this little tiny team. It's really Heartland. Um, that's your fruit. And I just want to let you guys know that and, and let you know it's, it was special. Uh, when you see that little JJ out there with his little microphone, it's almost an example of what that church is, precious. And, uh, and so just keep that in your heart and your mind and, and just praise the Lord and be ready. Everything Pam said and Mickey said is accurate. And, and um, you may be sitting here thinking, that's not for me. No, that's what you think. And so uh, it is for you because it's God's will. And you, you, God will do more than you could even ask or think. So just be open in your heart to you know being who God saved you to be so you can do that which God has saved you to do. Because he will do things that are over and above what you could ask or think. And that really is a good segue into our text this morning. We're uh, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. We're going to continue there. And uh, I, I am sorry, some of the, there's some, a little confusion because I, I was going to title this message about purity, but I kind of truncated it, so I'm going to focus on the power of the Passover, not the purity. That'll come next week when we look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread and we speak on sanctification a little bit deeper. But it was such a great update from Pam and Mickey about the DR trip, uh, and it really does just stir our hearts to be prepared uh, to go. And that's what God's doing in Exodus 12. He's preparing the children of Israel to go. He's getting them ready to, to launch. And we'll talk about that here more in just a minute. Uh, and so if you don't have a Bible, please grab one from the seat rack in front of you and be turned to page 99. If you uh, are a first-time guest and you got the gift bag, you can grab that. And inside there is a Bible. You can turn to page 99. Last week, Doug Pearson did a great job of encouraging us to consider how we talk about our needs. You, you remember that if you were around here? Did a really good job. It was very personal, right? Talking about his dad's, some spiritual needs his dad has, the disappointments that he carries daily. And yet he walks out of here, to make a long story short, he's more than a conqueror, right? I mean, he is, uh, he's like, look, uh, you know, we don't have anything, but we got everything, right? Just quoting right out of the scripture. Uh, just very encouraging. And he always challenged us to live by faith. Uh, and he shows that by his own example, he and Bethany. So, um, and so I pray today that we are doing that, and that's exactly what God's going to challenge the children of Israel to do as well. He's giving them these things that they must do. Now they're getting a lot more involved. Uh, they were the slaves. Now they're going to get more involved with the Passover feast, 
uh, they're getting their they're getting their their worship going. Is right. They're getting their worship on, and so uh, God is including them in their own uh, delivery here as they will be performing the Passover. So as we have seen in Exodus, God does hear our prayer. Amen. I mean, He hears our prayer. Pam just gave testimony of that. You do you know I was in the I was I was visiting in the hallway with a, a young man earlier, and he was asking me, he's like, was it hot? And I said, uh, it really wasn't that hot. I think it was, it was like 85, 80, 90 degrees. I mean, it was Missouri warm and humid, a little more humid than Missouri. But, but, you know, we all live around here. We've had all kinds of humidity. We know what it's like. It really was a blessing, and that's because Pam prayed. You know, I didn't pray. I just assumed it was going to be blazing hot because it normally is in August, like 110 degrees in uh, Dominican. And it was like unseasonably cool. I'm like, man, thank you, Pam, for praying. God answers our prayer. And he answers Pam's prayer, for sure. And I'm thankful for that. So God does answer our prayer, and it's incredible. There was a time when Israel was in bondage, and they needed out, and it seemed impossible. You ever have impossible circumstances? It's just like impossible. They're killing our kids. We're under oppression. Oh, and they cry to the Lord. And you know what? God delivered them. Right? He brought Moses. He, he answered their prayer. And God wants to answer our prayer today. And so we've walked right up to the 10th plague. Uh, as we've seen, Moses obviously answer the call. The nation of Israel worked through those nine plagues, and we're just parked. God kind of pauses it and talk, wants to talk to us about this Passover before he executes on their uh, extraction. And in a couple of weeks, we'll get to that 10th plague, that, and that final plague that really frees them. But a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how God prepared Israel for the Passover. Today, we're going to examine... Uh, the power of the Passover, and then we're going to work into the purity of the Passover sacrifice and the implications of that. But it provides protection from judgment as well as memorial celebration for our deliverance from sin. So before we jump into the, the text, I want to review what we saw a couple weeks ago because some of you have slept since then. A few weeks ago, we were talking about how uh, as they prepared for the Passover, the priority of the Passover feast revealed to Israel uh, and the world that there is a new beginning uh, uh, through the institution of the Passover. The Passover, even for us today in the church, as Jesus is our Passover, represents a new beginning, right? Israel's getting ready to have a launch, a new beginning. They've never been, even though God's called them a nation, they have never functioned as a nation, right? So they're getting ready to function at a new level, uh, and it's a new beginning for them. The Passover, obviously, uh, on the first of the month, ordered Israel's priority. Uh, priorities. And so I shouldn't say on the first of the month, on the first month. So God sets this, uh, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread as this event is going to kick off the first calendar uh, month for you as a nation. So this now becomes the first month of the year. And then we saw how the Passover prioritizes Israel's memory. Uh, God has them do it cyclically and they're to remember and go back and remember what he's about to do because it is truly epic. Even to this day, we remember what God did. Even the lost world knows what God did. And the Passover orders Israel's worship, right? So it is the Passover uh, sacrifice that really orders the worship, and eventually Jesus Christ would come and fulfill that as well, which the Passover orders God's prophecy as well. We saw how God fulfilled prophecy and was the Passover lamb. So we touched on all that a couple of weeks ago. And then the most practical thing we talked about was the priority of the Passover lamb itself, how every man needs a lamb, and every individual in every house needs the lamb, and Jesus must be your lamb. And so hopefully everyone today, can you say Jesus is your lamb? Say amen. 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 
So we got a house full of uh, redeemed people. Hallelujah to you. We need to double that and add 20. And, uh, and, God, will, and God will get some more glory because he deserves it, right? We got a lamb. We got a lamb. And Jesus is our lamb. And then the third thing we talked about is the, the pictures associated with the Passover. We'll talk about some of that more in here in just a moment. But God's uh, timing, and I, and I meant prophetic timing, the first and second advent of Christ is tied to the feast cycle. Of course, Jesus came... Uh, as the Passover lamb himself, he will return uh, at the second coming on time, right on line with those feasts of trumpets. And so uh, we talked about that. The Lord's Supper is also uh, associated with the Passover. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is our Passover. So we don't have to kill a lamb. We don't have to go through the Mosaic law because Jesus is better than the law. He is the fulfillment of the law. And so it affects us as well. Jesus Christ is our Passover. And then we also saw the, the cross. Of course, as Jesus, his blood, his atoning blood, is what has saved us. And so we're thankful for his atoning blood. And we'll talk about how that also affects our sanctification next week. So that gets us up to speed of where we are in Exodus chapter 12. Let's look at the text. And I'm going to move quickly this morning uh, for time's sake. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11. We're going to pick it up in verse 11 where we left off last week. And the Bible says in Exodus uh, chapter 12, verse 11, And thus shall you eat it uh, with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be, for, uh, be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning for your word. We're thankful for your promises, and we're thankful for your blessings. Oh Lord, as we look at a passage like this, we, we really understand the magnitude of, of your cursings, Lord. You have been as gracious as a holy God can be with a man like Pharaoh, and Lord, his time is up. And Lord, as you deliver your people through this Passover, Lord, we're reminded that you became sin for us that knew no sin, Lord, so we could be made righteous. Lord, we look at this passage, and, and a lamb becomes the lamb becomes <clears throat> your lamb, but it's also called an it in verse 13. You became sin for us. Lord, all of your wrath was poured out on your son so we could be set free. Lord, thank you for making us free. Thank you for making us victorious. Lord, help us never to forget the sacrifice of our lamb. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for this time to look at your word. We pray, God, that you would stir in our hearts in a very real and tangible way, that the spirit of God would work. Lord, that you would change us even now. That As we would leave here, we would just leave in victory. Lord, the joy of the Lord being our strength. Lord, remembering who Jesus is, what he did for us, and Lord, what he needs to do in the lives of others. Help us to be these gospel ambassadors that you called us to be. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're already seated, so praise the Lord. All right, so um, normally I'd ask you to be seated, so uh, I guess I don't have to do that this morning. So in Exodus 12 here, I want to just, just kind of break this down like I always do. As we look at this passage and we consider... The Passover reveals the Lamb's power to protect from judgment. Very clearly, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Everyone can see that. I mean, it is because of this Passover Lamb and the blood on the door that the, that the death angel passes over them. He will pass, I will pass over you. So in verse 13, notice though, it says, And thus shall you eat it. So he's given instructions on how to eat it. Uh, you're going to do this with your loins girded. 
your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You know, point A in your notes, the Passover prepared the children of Israel to mobilize as an army. And uh, you say, well, Brian, why would you say that? Well, I'm glad you're asking. These are great questions. If you look down at verse 17 of the text, look down there real quick, and I'm going to circle back around to this in a few minutes, but it says, uh, and ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in the selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. We'll talk about that more next week, but I want to just point out there that he says that I'm bringing you out. You're going to observe this and your armies, your armies. And then when you get to the end of the text, the very last verse in the, in the chapter, down in verse 51, the very last thing it says, and it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. He brought them out by their armies. So even though the children of Israel didn't look like an army, they came out of Egypt as an army. God had saved them to be an army so that, that they could gain their inheritance. Why did they need to be in an army? Anybody remember? Right ahead, maybe? What are they going to face? What's that? We have battle. Right? They got giants in their land. Their inheritance is full of giants. For while they've been 400 years toiling in Egypt, the devil's been planting giants in the land. And so if they're going to get everything that God has for them, they've got to be battle-ready. Right? They've got to completely change their whole personality. So, so really, in, in, in every true sense of the word, the, they have been victims. They have been victims of what has gone on in Egypt. Right? They've had the highs with Joseph, and then they've had the lows with these pharaohs at the end after Joseph died, and they have been victimized by the world. I mean, can you, how, who, how many of us could just raise our hand and say, I've been a victim of this world, right? I mean, it's pretty popular today. Everybody needs a psychologist. Everybody needs a pill. Everybody need, everybody's been victimized. Well, you know what? That's because that's what the devil does. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. And so when we get saved, we're quickened, right? We're brought into this world, and you're born into a battle. Now, whether these Egyptians realize it or not, God is preparing them to be an army. But they, 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 I'm sure a lot of them feel like slaves. A lot of them look like slaves. But God says, but you're an army. And this Passover and this Feast of Unleavened Bread are critical. It's mission critical in getting you prepared to be an army. You need some discipline. You need some structure. So I'm going to start by setting your agenda. There's a calendar, and you're going to worship, and you're going to be faithful. And I'm going to call you out so that you can change your identity because you have somewhere you're going. You're going to battle. And beloved, that's really the reality of our Christian life. What you saw Pam and Mickey doing this last week, they went to battle, spiritual battle. There's a day the Bible promises at the second coming of Christ. We come back and there's a physical battle. It's a battle because there's real darkness and there's real light. And all y'all said, amen, I know Jesus. He's my Passover lamb. Guess what? Which side you're on? You're on the side of light, right? And the light, man, when you bring on the light, the darkness flees. And a lot of us don't like really realize that today. We think, oh man, oh, it's so dark, it's so desperate. Yeah, it is. But you know what makes that change is the light. And you got the word, you got the spirit, and you got the church. Bink, turn on the light. Where's the power come from? It doesn't come from me, and it doesn't come from you. It comes from Jesus Christ who lives in us. Right, But the, the power is there. You may not even realize the power that God 
is given you through his word and his spirit and his local church. But when those three are working together in concert, man, literally the light comes on. That's why Paul encouraged the Philippians. He said, hey, be a church, that be a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Shine brighter and brighter in that region of Mesopotamia because that's been the hub. That's where Alexander the Great came from, right? Let's, let's go ahead and replace his greatness with the greatness of God, right? So, uh, so who cares? I mean, Harry Truman came from here. Some people like him, some people hate him. But you know what? We got a great, our God's greater. By the way, there is not a more influential man in, in American history in the last hundred years than that guy. But yet we got a more imp- influential message. Isn't that something? And so, beloved, you are like an army. But you're also, we're also kind of like slaves. We're kind of like, we, we still are touched with the feeling of the infirmities that we've abhorred, right? The wounds and the scars. I bet there were some dudes with some bad backs from doing all that hard labor. There's some people limping around. And you know what? Being saved from bondage didn't change their hip problem. <laughs> you know, they still were walking around with a limp. They still had a bad back. You know, their fingers still got cut off. Or whatever it was that went on while they were working and slaving away. But also what God was doing was allowing that to harden them up and toughen them up and prepare them for what was yet to come because he needed soldiers. And see, that's how God works. Romans 8, 28. All things do work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So some of those difficulties that you've endured, some of those scars that you have, are actually God wants to use those for his honor and glory so you can advance the kingdom of God for his glory. But you've got to realize you're on God's team. You are a light. You are a victor, not a victim. That's basically what Doug was preaching last week. And so when you look at this text, it's interesting what he says. I need you to be ready. I need you to be ready. The first thing you need an army to do is be ready. Don't do you any good to have an army if they're all sleeping. He's like, hey, wake up, guys. You're an army. I need you to get ready. So here's what you need to do, right? You need to make sure that you're ready to go. You're going to need to get your loins girded. You're going to need to get your shoes on. You're going to need to get, you're going to, need to get your staff in hand. You've got to get ready to go. Many a Christian in Laodicea has no idea what God has saved them to. As God is saving Israel from the bondage of Egypt, he's making sure they understand that they have been saved to something new. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, many of you know this verse by heart, right? It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's right, a new creature. Creature, I mean, a living organism. You are new creature. What, what is that new creature? You're a supernatural creature. You're Superman and Superwoman now. I mean, you have, you have an eternal God living inside of you. You're a new creature in Christ. And what does that mean? Old things are passed away. Behold, get a look at this. All things are become new. Man. And then he says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and given unto us the ministry of the reconciliation. And he goes on and talks about the word of reconciliation. So it isn't just about our salvation. It's also about our sanctification and utilization in the kingdom of God. You see, God doesn't just save us because we're a bunch of victims. He saves us to something not just from something. And it is important what you get saved from. But it's actually, it's equally or more important what you are saved to. Right? We can all have these gnarly testimonies. You know, I was a heroin addict. I was a meth addict. I was a this addict. I was a that addict. And Jesus saved me. Hallelujah to you. Jesus did that. That's what he saved you from. He ultimately saved all of us, if you're saved, from hell. That's the penalty for sin. For rejecting Jesus Christ, the penalty is hell. 
And so when we don't receive Christ, we are destined to hell. We're already lost. That's why we need Jesus Christ to save us. But man, it isn't just about what he saved us from. The glory isn't what he saved us to. What good is it if we are an addict, but we never see victory? Right? doesn't mean you're not saved, but if you never see your identity in Christ, you never see that you're an ambassador for Christ, you're a minister of reconciliation, that God is in, he has drafted you into, into an army, as well as grafted you into his family. Actually, birthed you into his family. Let me restate that. He's birthed you into his family through the new birth. And if you will, he's adopted you. You get that as well in Romans chapter 9. So you're covered in every way. God has a plan for your life. You are a new creature. God has something for you. But you know what it requires? It requires a little discipline. You know what discipline is? You guys know. You guys are hometown crowd. You know me, and I know you. What is the main thing we want to do around here other than lead people to Christ? Disciple them. That's right. You've got to have discipline. We've got to discipline ourselves. Why? Because there's not going to be any gimmies out here in the world. If you think you're going to get saved and it's all over and the devil just is going to flee, uh, you, he just took note of you. When you were on his team, he didn't have to worry about you, man. He just threw you a bone every so often and you chased it. You know, you're just a Gentile dog just doing what dogs do, just chasing the bone. But, when, man, once you get saved, whoo, man, all of a sudden... You got a new mind. You got a new heart. You got a new nature. And now the devil's like, uh oh, we better keep an eye on that one. That bone thing ain't working like it used to, right? Hey, you know, he, now Satan isn't personally taking note of everybody, but he's got legions, right? So he, he's like, hey, somebody get over there. We've got to throw a little distraction in that gal's way, in that guy's way. Give him a new boyfriend. Get him, get him a new girlfriend. Get, give him somebody to take him off track. Get, busy him up on that, on that phone. Get their face in that phone 24-7 so they don't get in the Word of God. Right? He'll find ways to, to distract us so we don't know who we are. It's important to read over Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11, and it's impossible to do it without seeing the parallels in the New Testament. The loins are to be girded. In Luke 12, 35-40, Jesus called the Jews to be prepared for the coming of the spiritual kingdom of God. He told them to be ready in every watch of the night. Because you don't know when the Lord will return. You know what? An army needs to be ready. Luke 12, 35 says, Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. Are you lit up this morning? I hope that's why you came. Man, you, we, gotta, we, gotta, we, can't let, we can't burn out. We've got to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to renew us daily. I don't know about y'all, but I've got to be renewed daily. Once a, I don't eat once a week. I probably could live if I did, but I mean... I could go for a few months like that. But anyway, uh, I eat daily. You know, sometimes I eat more than once a day. I would say probably like most days I eat more than once a day. I like to eat. I got to eat. You know what happens spiritually is we, we don't eat. The light starts to go out. We don't pray. We don't fellowship. And next thing you know, we find ourselves in darkness when God intended us to be light. But God's drawn us here today. That's why you're here. You all want to be in the light. I want to be in the light. Jesus Christ is the light. Jesus is saying, don't be caught in your undergarments. Get, your, get dressed. I'm coming. Now, we talked about girding up the loins. They, you know, they wore robes or togas, right? So, uh, so for all you legalists, if don't like women wearing pants, I mean, we're going to do it right. Us men need to put on togas and walk around here, right? So 
no thank you. Uh, but, uh, hey, they still do that in the Middle East. If you go to, uh, you know, in, in the Middle East, about anywhere you go, also in India, they still dress like that. And so, you know, if they got to do something, they got to gather up their britches or their, their skirt, I should say, like a, a good Scotsman. The Scotsman just cut them short, right? This carnal Scots. Anyway, so they just, they just pull those things out, and then they, they have a way they wrap them all up, and next thing you know, they're, they're kind of in their shorts. They're ready to roll. I don't want you guys to envision too much there, so uh, I'm going to hide back behind the pulpit. So their hairy legs are sticking out, and they got their sandals because he says, "Pete, get your feet, get your feet shod, get your get your your skirt ready to roll, because I need you to get out of here. You can't be encumbered. You can't be encumbered." Now, I'm actually personally, before I came to this message, I, this was like a few weeks ago, I was actually convicted about this very point in my personal devotional life. Just, I felt like, man, I'm encumbered in my mind. Too much social media. Too much, too many messages. And uh, I'm old enough to remember a time when you didn't have your mind constantly bombarded with, uh, your mind's always going to be bombarded with information, but with this, the, the titillating like information to take your attention off, you know, just whatever, whether it's politics or whatever, you know, just something that'll trip your trigger. Like, this guy comes out with this song, you know, uh, whatever his name is. And, yeah. I hear it like one time, I can't get, I'm telling Amy, I got to get that out of my head. That dude is like infectious. It's like a disease. I'm like, get that out of my head. I want to sing to Jesus. I'm not, nothing wrong with the song. I'm just saying, for me, I'm just talking about me, guys. I want my loins ready, right? That doesn't like prepare my mind for what God has me to do. And so I'm like, I got to get that out. How did that thing get in there? You know, <laughs> get it out of there. You got to renew that mind, right? Daily. I'm like going through my playlist. Something's got to catch other than that darn song. So anyway, you got to have your mind ready, the loins of the mind, right? We know what the Bible talks about. And interestingly enough, in the New Testament, when we talk about the loins, Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. You know the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God is fit for a soldier. Soldier. If you want to be a slave, well, don't worry about it. Just lay back. Que sera, What will be, will be. You know, don't worry, be happy. Put on some Caribbean music and lay back and enjoy life. But if you really have had your identity changed, man, you really got to prepare your mind. Because the, the devil doesn't give a rip about your comfort. And he'll let you listen to Caribbean music your whole life while you miss the mission of God and are not prepared for what God has for you and lose your identity in Christ. And I'm, I only tell you that not to like depress you, but because I love you. What is useful to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are people who are ready-minded, people who are disciplined and will move when the Spirit of God tells us to. Man, Lee Carter's big on that. He's like, do what the Spirit of God tells you to do. But you can't do that if your mind is not saturated with the Word of God. Everybody will tell you, oh, yeah, I'll just do it. No, you moved on your emotions. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not, taking, I'm not talking about emotional decisions. I'm like talking about when God speaks to you from the Word of God, and he says, you need to share the gospel with that person. You need to be kind to this person. 
You need to walk away from that person. You need to stop the conversation here with that person. Right? The Holy Spirit of God, your mind is renewed, right? And you, all of a sudden you know, you're like, mm, no, that's not what God wants me to do. I need to go do this. It's not because you are walking in your emotions or something like that. It's because you have allowed and we allow the work. Girding up the loins of our mind is what we need to be doing. If we're going to be able to stand in the wicked and, and perverse nation that, that, uh, and generation that we're in. First Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter was dealing with people under persecution. He's like, if you're going to stand up and, and be ready at the coming of the Lord, when you see him, you're going to have to prep your mind because it's not always going to be easy. You know, you could get, oh, you could get screened off of YouTube. Oh, you know, or the IRS could come after you or something serious, you know. But something could happen to distract you. And if you're not focused on things above, it's, it's going to be easy to get distracted and get caught up in the things of this world. And so we've got to be focused. Are the loins of your mind covered in truth? Right? The loins covered. He didn't say take off your, your, your garments. He said make sure they're on and make sure they're ready. Put on. Put this mind. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Right, so we've got to have a mindset. I just saw this morning Lee Carter had his trash can stolen. And, you know, I'm like, man, I'm going to have to start getting my own testimony. This guy, this guy's trash can, and he wants to be angry, but he says, you know, wait a minute, that person needs to get saved. And so instead of getting angry, I'm going to pray, and I'm, going to, I'm, I'm wondering why that person is not already saved. Who's witness to them that they're so silly they're going to run around and steal people's garbage cans to try to get an advantage? Man, they need, they need help. How pathetic is that? They need Jesus. Right? What did he do? He let Christ's mind be in him. The loins of his mind was girded up. He was ready, so he could be ready with an answer of the hope that lies within him, with meekness and fear, because without the grace of God, there go I. Right? We could be just like that. About the time you think you can't, that's, I tell you what, you're in a bad space because you can, even as a Christian, if you let yourself go. You can do stuff that you shouldn't be doing, and you'll do the worst stuff that you shouldn't be doing because the devil gets a lot of, gets a lot of traction in that. And our flesh is wicked. And so he also says, shoes on your feet, right? Get your feet shod. We all know Ephesians 6.15, our, our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We know Romans 10.15 tells us, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring the good tidings of good things. Man, don't we need some good news today? And we got it. We got the good news. Just like Pam said, it's amazing how good the news is when people really hunger for it. It is. You don't have a bigger problem than where you're going to spend eternity. And once you know that, you've got the good news. Amen, we're all going to go to heaven, those of us that know that. Praise the Lord. Well, hey, you know what? Now you've got some good news you can share with others. Even though you, you've wandered far from God, run back to Him today. I noticed that in Luke 15, 22, one of the few references that deals with this it's dealing with the prodigal son. It could be God brought you in here today, and you're like, instead of feeling uplifted, you're feeling kind of condemned and down, convicted maybe. You're like, man, I am really not where I need to be. Well, i got great news for you. Great news for you. The, the Bible uses this story in Luke 15. I'm not going to read it all, but it's a prodigal son. He's far away from God, but he finally comes to the end of himself. And listen to what the Bible says. When his dad saw him, his dad runs to him, and he embraces him, and he's, 
And the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, right? Cover him up. Put a ring on his hand so he identifies with me. And he says, hey, that kid's barefoot. Put some shoes on his feet. Put some shoes on his feet. You know what? God has saved us to have beautiful feet. He wants us to take the good tidings. You don't have to. All you got to do, you could have just crawled up out of a ditch for Jesus. But if, if you've come to terms with the Father in heaven, you can turn right around and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Man, put, just put on the, the, the loin of uh, the truth, the word of God in your head, and, and identify with your Father in heaven and go right back out and tell people about Jesus. You don't have to be saved very long to do that. Notice they, they were to have a staff in their hands. And even though the children of Israel um, are called an army twice more in the text as I brought up, God tells them to take a shepherd's staff. Isn't that interesting? I just, I'm up here talking about a battle, and yet they're taking staffs instead of swords. I think that's interesting. I think there's a, there's a subtle picture here. Of course, one of the things that they don't have yet is the words of God in writing. The oracles of God haven't been given yet on Sinai. They're working off the promises of Abraham. And Abraham is the shepherd. He's a good shepherd, by the way. So was uh, Isaac, and so was Jacob, and now so is Moses, right? He's the shepherd. He's leading them out. But soon and very soon, well, 40 years later, <laughs> because of their disobedience, they're going to get a new leader. And that leader is going to be named Joshua. And when he comes in, when he takes them out of the wilderness into the promised land, you know what he has? Oh, yeah, you better believe it. He's got a sword and all the men with him. They exchange that shepherd's staff for a sword. But take what's in your hand and take care of this flock. Slay this lamb and do what you're told. Begin to discipline yourselves. Just a little bit like what God does with us right now here in the church, right? We're not called to pick up a sword and go fight. A lot of my brothers uh, have that wrong. There's, a, there's whole denominations, and, and a large part, part of people who are Protestants, we're not Protestants, we're Bible believers, that, that misunderstand that. And they take the promises to Israel to themselves, and they literally want to go out right now, and they want, to, they want to change society, even if it means take up a sword, a literal sword, which might be an AK. Guess what? This is the sword that I take up right now. This is my sword. You say, are you some pacifist? No. Don't test me. But at the end of the day, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. The church, Paul didn't punch Caesar in the nose. He submitted like a lamb led to the slaughter and left the judgment to God. And even wrote in Romans chapter, uh, Romans, uh, chapter 13 that, you know what, the powers that be, let them wield the sword. Let them wield the sword. For now. Because the day's coming when Jesus Christ comes back with a sharp, two-edged sword. When he comes back, just with his word, he pops people like grapes and blood runs bridled deep through the valley of Armageddon. You want to talk about a sword? He bears the sword. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that our Bible is like a sharp, two-edged sword. It pierces the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I mean, it'll cut you right down to the heart. 
The sword that we need to be swinging is this book. But you know, one of the ways that we learn to swing a sword, spiritually speaking, is start by being, just holding the staff. Just taking this book and applying it gently to the responsibilities within the context of our family. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is Abraham and his 300 trained servants. You know what they were serving under Abraham to do? They were taking care of sheep all day. Sheep herders. You know, when God called on him to deliver Lot, he literally chased an army, a confederate army, of, of the, of the city-states of that region of that time. I mean, it was like World War. And he and his 300 trained servants somehow, I still don't understand this, chased them all the way up near Damascus with 300 trained shepherds. You know, if you go back to World War, or, uh, Civil War, you look at some of the greatest generals, you know what they were? You better believe it, they were shepherds. They were preachers, teachers, people who for a living cared about people's souls. And when engaged in a real conflict, I shouldn't say real, that is a real conflict. When engaged in a physical conflict, they just translated that expertise to the combat. Beloved, there's a day coming when Jesus is coming for us. He says, be ready. You don't know when I'm coming, but... But the lamb has been slain. The blood has already been put on our door. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to catch you away. And after the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be coming back. And he's going to be bringing a sword. Are you ready? What is all this business of making disciples and having church and taking missions trips? What is going on around here? I'll tell you what's going on around here. God is preparing an army. It don't look like it right now. It looks like we're a bunch of tricks. The world even makes fun of us. Teetotaler. Softies. I mean, if you don't throw a few cuss words in that song, it ain't worship. You can take that song, and I'll take mine. And we'll see. We'll see who can stand in an evil day. It ain't going to be because you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's because you fall down before the God of heaven. Understand your deliverer is Jesus Christ. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. Without humility, you ain't going nowhere. These people understood what it was to be humble. They had been under bondage, under hard affliction. God was like, hey, listen, do what I tell you guys because your deliverance is drawing nigh. The death angel's coming. Make sure your loins are girt up. What's that got to do with the death angel? Uh, the, the, the fact is you're about to be free. Your problem is not the death angel anymore. I need you to serve me. I need you to be ready to to go when I tell you to go because I'm taking you out of here. I'm getting you out of this place and I have more business for you. God tells Moses and the the children of Israel, hang on, my technology just died. God tells Moses and the children of Israel not to eat the Passover feast in haste, as it is a judge, as a judgment is, <clears throat> he tells them. I'm sorry, not to. Eat, he tells them to eat the Passover feast in haste, as judgment is coming like a bullet train to Tokyo, upon the the Egyptians. There's no time to tarry. If you've been putting off applying the blood to your life, you need to be saved today. Without a doubt, today is the day of salvation. The power of the blood protects us from the pending judgment. Exodus 12, 13, he goes on to say, And the blood shall be for you a token upon the house 
wherein ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of of Egypt. Oh, how precious is the blood. You know, the power, power, the soul-cleansing power in the blood of the Lamb. Many of us recognize that passage uh, there in the text, in verse 13, as the origin of the lyrics for the old hymn, When I See the Blood. How many of you remember the old, I See the Blood? About a third of you, maybe, maybe less, maybe a quarter of you. You go look that up and read those lyrics. It's outstanding. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. We used to sing that in our churches, like, often. When I see the blood, when I, I love that song. It's a good old song. When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. Because the blood of Christ, we draw nigh to Christ as well. Ephesians 2 and verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, Jesus, ye who are sometimes were far off are made nigh, right? You're brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made us both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Point C, the power of the blood secures our salvation. When you go down to verse 21 and you look at the text, it says, And Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts and the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and I will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. Exodus chapter 12, verses 11 through 13, that reveals the sacrificial system. In Exodus 12, 21 through 30, Moses is applying that to their life. You know, the Bible is awesome to understand, but you really got to apply it. Could you imagine one of those fathers saying, oh, that's okay, Moses, I don't have time for that tonight. You know, the Chiefs are playing. Monday night football's on tonight. I don't have time for that. Uh, you don't have time not to do that. Men, God is telling us to cover our houses in the blood. Right? Make sure your family's saved. Make sure that they're under the blood of the lamb. The instructions were clear. Draw our lamb according to your families. Draw out a lamb. Take a, a bunch of hyssop, right? Get a big old bunch of it. Dip it in the basin of blood. Put that over the door. And, of course, you see here the picture of the Godhead, right? The picture of the Godhead is the blood on the lintel represents God the Father. The blood on the two side posts represents God the Son and the Holy Ghost. And it's also been noted that it, if you were to like draw lines uh, you know, on it, it would look like a cross, which is also true. Take whichever picture you want. They both are accurate when it comes to the blood. And so don't, don't go out the door once you've entered in, he says. Once you put that blood on the door, stay inside. That destroyer is going to pass over Egypt, and you do not want to be in his way. Oh, my beloved, what an incentive to come to Jesus, who is the door of the sheepfold, Romans 10 and verse 7. Man, who would want to leave? You can't anyway. You're born again. So in the New Testament, we, our, our salvation is secure. But at the end of the day, man, that is your safety. That is your place. It's not your bank account. It's not your job. It's not your education. Hey, it's good to have all of those things. At the end of the day, though... Safety comes from the Lord, right? The horse is prepared for the day of battle. But safety, safety comes from the Lord. There's stories that General George Washington used to ride out in the front of the battle like a madman, would come back with holes through his jacket from the the bullets. Well, how did that happen? Uh, Safety is of the Lord, right? Safety is of the Lord. 
That's all there is to it. The last thing, the power of our Passover of, the, of our Passover should be passed to all generations. In that same text down in verse 24, he says, And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever, and it shall come to pass when you, be, uh, when you become to the land which the Lord will give you according to he hath promised, that you shall keep his service. And this shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. Okay, so this is the thing. You catch it? They got to hear the command to do the Passover. They got to apply the command of the Passover in their life. But yet, then they need to teach it to others also in their house. Beloved, that is what we do, isn't it? The the Lord Jesus Christ, we hear the gospel, we receive the gospel, he saves us and changes us, and then we end up sharing the gospel. But beyond that, God brings us into a house called the local church. The local New Testament church teaches us the word of God. Why? So that we can understand why Jesus died on the cross, who Jesus Christ really is, so so we can understand and see these typology and all these things that God reveals to us Ultimately, what is that about? So that you have enough working knowledge of God's word to, sit, to pass it on to the next generation, generation after generation. And this, my friends, is the key, is not just to know what the word of God says, but to live it out in front of your family. Not just to go to church, but to, to live out the word of God, to get involved in the word of God at a level that it affects the way you actually live because it affects the way you think, and it affects the way you operate. And yes, you are brainwashed. Your brain is washed from the filth of this world. And you begin to think like Jesus. You begin to act like Jesus. You begin to, this is the scary part, you begin to care like Jesus. I mean, you all know David Pierce. He sat over here on 283rd Street on his whatever acres, 80 acres or whatever. And he was going to do that till Jesus came. Circle up the wagons and wait for Jesus. Until God got a hold of his heart and took him on a missions trip. And now he says, Brian, I don't know that I can work in America anymore. i got to go where the gospel's flowing, man. And, and, and the guy is always looking for people to witness to. And usually they're not from here. And that's not because he doesn't like America. He loves America. But what he really likes is fertile soil. He's a good farmer. If you got fertile soil, he's sowing seed. God changed him. Put his mind in him, changed him from the inside out. Is amazing. So Jesus, man, he is our Passover. Though our salvation is personal, it's not just about us. It's about our children and our grandchildren. If you're not thinking generationally about your deliverance, then you're not really thinking biblically. You know, I think one of the reasons God held up our our, our biological reproduction was just for me to get that highlighter. He said, Brian, there is nothing in your life more important than spiritual reproduction, period. And whether you have biological kids or not, it does not matter. There's nothing more important to your life if you're born again than reproducing Christ spiritually. What does it do you any good to have 14 children on this earth and never get the gospel to them? I mean, what a shame. What a, what a sad situation, especially if you had it. Especially if you're in a church that will help equip you to learn the Bible sufficiently so you can share it. 
Jesus is our Passover. Jews have been observing the Passover for 3,514 years in my calculation. But for uh, 1,948 years, the Jews didn't obey what God commanded in Deuteronomy 16 and verse 6. He told the Jews that they were to observe the Passover in Jerusalem in every generation. The problem is in 70 AD, a guy named Titus, General Titus of Rome, comes in and he sacks Jerusalem, levels it, and the nation of Israel goes into dispersion. In 1939 years later, the Jews observed the Passover. Uh, for, I'm sorry, for 1,939 years, they've observed the Passover in their homes, but they weren't able to celebrate it in Jerusalem. And you know why that is. Because they said, let, let Caesar be our king. Right? We don't serve anyone but Caesar. And they rejected their lamb. And so Jesus allows, you know, for a few, a uh, couple decades, he allows the gospel to go in, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost part. And as a whole, that nation rejected their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And in 70 AD, the opportunity to worship him accordance to Deuteronomy 16 and verse 6 has been over. There is no temple. It was occupied. And they go into almost 2,000 years of, of, uh, of dispersion. And then they make excuses. I was reading it on the internet. They still don't do that until 19 or 2019. And all of a sudden they, they're reading the Bible and they're like, hey, you know, we can't do the temple, but there's the mount. Let's go ahead and get within view of the mount and let's start sacrificing the lambs for the Passover the way the Bible tells us to. And the Orthodox priests began offering the lamb there on the temple mount. You know, the sad thing, the Jews are awaiting their Messiah and they don't even realize they missed him. They missed the opportunity. Just as Jesus is our Passover, he's their Passover too. And a good majority of those people will receive the wrong Messiah here in days ahead after the church is caught out. The Jews are awaiting a Messiah, but unfortunately many will get the Antichrist. The message the Jews and the Gentiles need to understand today is a very simple message that, that Paul told the Corinthians, the carnal Corinthians. He says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. He's like, hey, Corinthians, clean it up. Get the loins of your mind where they need to be. Get yourselves together. Understand that your salvation entails you doing things decently and in order, because God needs you to be a witness here in this part of Greece. Beloved, God wants us to do the same thing because there are people that, that, that don't know Jesus. They don't know that Jesus is their Passover. There are people still going through the motions that don't understand. There's people in, in Christian churches that are taking bread and drinking wine and they don't know the Passover. They don't know Jesus. They're lost without hope, without Christ, without power, without love, without a sound mind. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and therefore is, better, is a better sacrifice than that of the blood of bulls and goats. If a man desires to be saved from the penalty of sin and death, Jesus is the only acceptable sacrifice before a holy God. Oh, beloved, make sure, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, make sure that you're covered in the blood. Because the wrath of God will not pass over you if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and your Savior.
Don't get caught up in some religious ritual. Jesus Christ is better than that. The children of Israel, they took heed to Moses' warning. And the firstborn were saved. And God brought his judgment, just as he said he would. In, In Exodus 12, verse 29, the Bible says, And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where, where was not one dead. Beloved, that's sobering. Why wouldn't Pharaoh just apply the power of the Passover? Right? He had many chances. He had nine opportunities to see the power of God in his judgment. But he never really thought death was going to touch his house. Remember those first plagues? They didn't touch his house. That was somewhere else. Yeah, but then and the next thing you know, he's got frogs in his bed. And God's telling him, hey, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. Slowly, I'm coming for you. Graciously, kindly, I'm coming for you. And, and Pharaoh just thought, no, not me. Not me. Oh, God took something that meant more than his own life, I'm sure, and that's his son's life. And completely wrecked everything in his world. Because he's supposed to be a God. And at the end of the day, to this day, to this very day, Pharaoh is a worm. And if anyone would preach a message here that would really be compelling, it would be him. And he would love to come back and say, listen to what Brian's saying. There's only one way, there's only one truth, and there's only one life. And beloved, listen to what the Word of God says to us who know the Word of God, who have this. Hey, listen, get ready. Not just get yourself ready, but get your house ready. Get yourselves ready. God has a plan and a purpose for us. It's a victorious future. And yeah, you're in this world and you've been beat up by the world, but God has slayed his son on the cross and he has delivered us and we are no longer slaves. We are more than conquerors, it says in the book of Romans chapter 8. And there's coming a day when we need to be ready. We need to have the loins of our minds girt up. We need to be about the Father's business. We need to be shining our lights. We need to be about having the rod in our hand because God has a sharp two-edged sword in our mouth and he's going to catch us away and get us out of here so he can fulfill his business. Because, beloved, wrath is coming. And man, if our neighbor will receive that lamb, if that neighbor will receive the lamb, my goodness, let's take them the lamb so they can get in the house before judgment comes. Because time is short. Even if you live to be 100 years old, time is fleeting. And you want to make sure your neighbor's in the house, and you want to make sure your kids are in the house, and you want to make sure your kids' kids are in the house. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word to meditate upon these things. Next week we'll have a little bit more on this subject of unleavened bread and the feast. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the power of the Passover. Lord, is the, because, uh, because of the blood, you will pass, you will pass over us. And Lord,